Well, let's open our Bibles tonight to the book of Judges chapter 16 once again. Judges chapter 16. I don't think you paid attention, so I'm just going to re-preach the message from this morning. No, just kidding. No, we're going to be looking at uh, the end of Judges chapter 16 tonight and concluding um, the study of the life of Samson here. And Lord willing, in the weeks ahead, we'll finish out the book of Judges as the Lord gives us opportunity. But tonight we're looking at Judges chapter 16. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 23 on down through the end of the chapter. Actually, let's go back to verse 21, kind of pick up where we left off this morning. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice for they said our God hath delivered Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him they praised their God. For they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me, that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes." And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel and the burial place of Manoah his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. Tonight I want to preach to you for a moment about Samuel's, excuse me, Samson's final feat. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, I do pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from thy law. And I pray that most of all, as we look at the life of Samson, and we consider what he could have done and what he could have been, that our attention would be focused on Christ and what he did do. And Lord, I pray that we would not despair when times are tough, but that we would look to our Savior who has given us the ultimate victory. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Have you ever seen uh, one of those YouTube videos or something about never celebrate too early? Maybe it's a basketball team that uh, is coming down to the wire and uh, maybe one team is up at the free throw line and if they make this free throw, it goes into overtime, but if they miss it, then the other team wins and, and the guy shooting the free throw step, steps up and he takes the shot and he misses it. It bounces off the rim and the one team just immediately starts jumping up and down and celebrating, but there's a few moments left on the clock and the other team keeps their wits and they get the rebound and they put it up for a layup and they win. And it's a lesson there that don't celebrate too early. Well, what we find in our story here tonight is a definitely an instance where somebody was celebrating a little too early. In this case, it was the Philistines. They thought for sure that they had the upper hand. They thought for sure that they had the final victory. But what they didn't count on was the fact that you cannot defeat the Almighty Creator God of the universe. And even when things look their worst, God is still at His best. Because God is always at His best. The circumstances of life are ever-changing, but God is constant. And there are going to be times in our life where it looks like the enemy is getting the upper hand. It's going to look like the wicked are winning. But the reality is no one can defeat the sovereign purposes of God. When it seems like we're losing in life, we need to look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and be reminded that victory has already been won for us by Him. Let's examine this passage tonight to see what the Lord has to say to us. Number one, would you note with me the celebration of the enemy in verses 23 and 24. Now this morning we covered the first part of this chapter at Samson's fall how that he fell for lustful love, he fell for Delilah's deceit, and he fell into the hands of the heathen. And as we read in verses 21 and 22 here, we see that he's been captured and taken down to Gaza, which was basically the capital of the Philistines. He's been put in prison, he's been bound with fetters, he's been made to grind, he's doing the job of a common farm animal. But there's a period of time that elapses and during that time the hair of his head begins to grow again. And sometime later, we're not told exactly how long, evidently a span of probably a few months, maybe longer. In verse 23 it says that the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God. And so they, they organized this big festival and this big celebration in order to praise their God, their false God, Dagon. Dagon was part fish, part man. And they would have uh, uh, probably had a lot of statues to him, and they would have had all of these ceremonies that they would have been uh, uh, taking part in in order to worship him. They were offering sacrifices, we know. But then we also know from this passage that, that they were basically partying it up and just having a great time. And everything that would have gone along with idol worship, they were probably involved with it. Now, why were they doing this? Because to them, it sure seemed like a great victory. Because down in their prison, they had the champion of Israel. They had Samson, the strong man, the one who previously had slain a thousand at one time, the one who had carried off the gates of the city of Gaza. He was the guy that they all feared, 
But now they've captured him, he's in prison, and they're celebrating what seems like a victory to them. Now, to be honest, if you were living in this day, and if you were a Philistine, or if you were a Jew, you would have probably thought the same thing. Because this sure looked like the Philistines had a great victory here. It seemed like they had the upper hand. It seemed like they were winning. And there are going to be many times in our life when it seems like the wicked are winning. When it seems like that the lost have the upper hand. But what we need to understand is that what it seems like and what it actually is, that is, the difference between our perception and reality is very important because the reality is that no matter what's going on, God is still in in charge and no one can defeat Him. It's hard for us though when it seems like the wicked are winning because we wonder, is it really worth it to do right? Is it really worth it to live for God if, if we're going to have to struggle while, while people who hate God, while the lost, get to enjoy all the good things of life? If you've never been there in your Christian walk, if you've never asked that question before, I'm telling you that day's probably going to come. Turn with me to Psalm 73 for a moment. You can keep your place in Judges chapter 16. We'll be back there in a moment. But Judges chapter 16, I mean, excuse me, Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, the psalmist asks the same kind of question that we're talking about right now. Is it really worth it to live for God? If the wicked are going to get to enjoy life and the righteous are going to have to struggle and be miserable? Psalm 73 in verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Now this psalm hadn't been written yet at the time of Samson's story, but I wonder if he had the same kind of thinking as verse number 4. There he is in bands with his strength gone, and there are the Philistines enjoying life. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Now notice what the psalmist here is tempted to think in verse number 13. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. He looked at his life and he said, you know what, I'm suffering through a whole lot. He looked out at the wicked and he said, they seem to be having a great time. 
Have I washed my hands in vain? Has it been worthless? Has it been pointless for me to try and live right? For me to try and do right? Verse 15, if I say I will speak thus, Behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Notice verse 17, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. You know, there's going to be many times where it seems like the wicked are winning. And in those times that we're tempted to wonder, is it really worth it to live for God? We need to remember, like the psalmist said, their end. They may be enjoying life now for a moment, but there will come a day when they stand before Almighty God and they have to give account of their life. And they, if they've not accepted Christ as their Savior, will be judged eternally for their sin in a place called hell. So just remember, while for a moment they may be enjoying themselves, there is an eternity of misery awaiting them. So while it seems like they may be winning, we need to remember that the wicked have already lost. Back in Judges chapter 16, notice with me next the humiliation of Samson. In verse 25, we're told that it came to pass when their hearts were merry, they said, call for Samson that he may make us sport. And so they were having this big, this big celebration, this big party, this big, very worldly worship service in the truest sense of the word. And they got maybe a little bit intoxicated. The phrase there, their hearts were merry, indicates that there was probably some alcohol or maybe drugs or other things that were going on. And in this inebriated state, they called out. They said, let's have some fun. Let's bring Samson out here. See, Samson was their trophy. He was the the one that represented the the whole system that they were opposed to, that of the Jews and their religion and, and their God. Bring him out here so that he can make us sport. And so they bring him out and he made them sport and they set him between the pillars. He's brought out for their enjoyment to be displayed They wanted to rejoice in His demise. What an ungodly spirit that was. You know, Proverbs 24, 17 says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. You know, what our our flesh wants to rejoice when our enemies fall. We want to say, Ha ha, serves you right. And they brought Samson out to do that very thing to him. And notice his humiliation. We already know that he's been blinded. And so they bring him out. He's being made a spectacle of. And then we find in verse number 26 that there was a lad that held him by the hand. He was being led around by a little boy. Here was the man who was once the strongest man on earth. And now he's having to be led around by a little boy. Totally humiliating. See, God knew what it would take to humble Samson. His pride was in his strength. And what did he lose? His strength. He lived according to the lust of his eyes. And what did he lose? His eyes and his ability to see. God knew exactly what it would take to humble Samson. 
It's very important that we learn to humble ourselves because if we do not humble ourselves, God may have to humiliate us. And that's what he did to Samson. I think about what King Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel chapter 4. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. There is no one who is too big to fail. God knows how to humble you and me. And He will do what it takes to put us in our place, just like He did for Samson. The Bible tells us that the house, verse 27, was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. These were these, the same lords, no doubt, that had bribed Delilah into getting the secret of his strength out of Samson. They were all there, and the Bible tells us that they were on the upper level, on the roof of this, probably some kind of an amphitheater-type setup. There were 3,000 men and women. This was a very large crowd, and they're all, at this point, they're watching one thing. They're watching Samson. Now, we don't know exactly what he was doing. Maybe they were uh, making him, uh, you know, perform stunts. Maybe there were people out there that were just kind of picking on him, pushing him around. But whatever they were doing, they were all mocking and they were having fun at his, his expense. The point is this, he went from being the most feared man by the Philistines to being their laughingstock. This was total and complete humiliation. You can hardly imagine having to, uh, in a way that he could have been brought any lower than this. But then notice with me number three, the destruction of the wicked. Verse 28, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which it was borne up of the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Come to this part in Samson's story, and we have to ask ourselves, is Samson truly repentant of his sins? Obviously, he's been humiliated. He can't deny the fact that he's been defeated. He's been brought low. But is he truly repentant? Has he gotten his heart right with God? You know, I want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt as much as I can, but as I look at the life of Samson, I look at what he says and what he does here, and I cannot in good conscience tell you, yes, he repented and he got right with God. The things that he said and did here indicate very strongly, that he was still living a selfish, prideful life. Notice, first of all, his prayer to God. He addresses God, O Lord God, I pray thee and strengthen me, I pray thee only this once. All right, good start. He's appealing to the Lord for strength. But notice his reason. That I may be at once avenged of the Philistines, for my two eyes. What is Samson's goal right here? Why is he asking for strength? Because he wants vengeance. I want to be avenged 
of my two eyes. These Philistines took my eyes out and I want to get even with them. You remember a couple weeks ago when we looked at his story, how that, that, that whole vicious cycle of vengeance that took place in Timnath with that first woman that he wanted to marry. And it was that the whole thing of back and forth that, that ended horribly. Well, now here he is again. He's consumed with vengeance. He, he wants to get even for them. He didn't say, Lord, give me strength so that you can be glorified in my life. He didn't pray, Lord, give me strength so that these Philistines might know that you are God alone. He didn't pray anything like that. He said, I want to be avenged of my two eyes. Those two eyes that had gotten him in so much trouble. Those two eyes that had been put out by his enemies. He's so consumed with that. I think in contrast to this, of a, of the story of David and Goliath. When David came down to where the battle was and he heard Goliath defying the armies of God, he went to Saul and he, he volunteered to go and fight. And when David faced Goliath, he said in verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That was David's motivation for defeating the Philistines. That wasn't Samson's motivation. He wanted to be avenged of his two eyes. He was selfish. He was sensual. Remember, we've talked about that word sensual, meaning appealing to the senses, doing what you feel like doing. That was Samson all the way. He was consumed with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He did what felt right to him in any given moment. He lived for his desires and his pleasures. But not only was he selfish and sensual, I submit to you that he was suicidal. That he would rather die than going having to live a humble life. Because notice what he says here. He says, now let me die with the Philistines. I'd love to be able to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he was willing to sacrifice himself for his people. But I do not believe that's what's going on here. I believe that it's entirely possible that he could have gone on to live for God I believe God could have delivered him and even as a blind man he could have continued to judge Israel and done so faithfully. There's no reason why he had to die at this point. But he said, let me die with the Philistines. And so the Bible says that having been brought to the pillars of the house, he bowed himself down. He pulled those pillars down that were supporting the main structure of that, that facility and it all collapsed in so that those people died. And the Bible tells us that more people died at his death than during his life. To me, that is a very sad statement. You ever heard the expression, worth more dead than alive? That's kind of what it is right here with Samson. He died in a blaze of glory. 
And certainly it was a spectacular death. We're talking about it to this day. It's been recorded in Scripture. It will be remembered for all of eternity. And you know, some people are so consumed with themselves that that's what they want. They want to go out in a blaze of glory so that everybody remembers them and their greatness and all the things that they did. But let me tell you, it is far better to live a life on fire for God than it is to die in a selfish blaze of glory. And so Samson's story ends tragically with him buried under the rubble of a heathen temple. The Bible tells us that his family came and retrieved his body and he was given a proper burial. But that's the end of his story. You think about the story of Samson. I mean, literally the strongest man to ever live. But yet he ends in such a disappointing way. Does it not leave you wondering? Is that the best we can do? Is that the best Israel could come up with? I mean, this guy who was consumed with the lust of the flesh, who was always driven by his own desires and wants and ultimately resulted in his demise, is that really the best we can do? And the answer is sadly yes. That's the best that we, humanly speaking, can do. See, even our best is not good enough. We need someone better. And really, the stories that we find in the book of Judges remind us of that time and time again. These judges, though they did some great things and though God used them, they all were, were still sinners. They were all fault, faulty. And some of them, as we'll see as we go along here and finish this book up, were very, very wicked. And all of it is designed by God to create in us a desire for someone better, a judge who is better, a judge, a deliverer, who can deliver us once and for all, who is perfect, who is powerful. And who can give us ultimate victory over our enemy? And you know who that judge, that deliverer is? It's Christ. I want to kind of take this story of Samson's here. And I want to overlay the gospel on it with you for a moment. And show you how Christ did perfectly what Samson did so imperfectly. I think about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross, the Bible tells us in Matthew 27 that they passed by and they reviled Him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou, hast, thou, hast, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross, likewise also the chief priests mocking Him with the scribes and elders. I see there the same kind of celebration that was going on with the Philistines in the temple of Dagon over Samson. They thought they had won. They thought they had the victory. And here these uh, uh, religious leaders thought that they had destroyed Jesus. Here he was hanging on the cross. Where are his claims to be the Son of God now? Where are his claims to be Messiah? Where are his claims to be all-powerful? And they're mocking him. They're wagging their heads at him. And they are shamed him as he hangs on that cross. 
And as we view that scene through the pages of Scripture, our heart hurts and we are saddened to see our Savior being treated so vilely. I'm sure that in Israel, people were very sad to see their leader, their champion, Samson, being mocked, being humiliated, and seeing the wicked celebrate over him. Our Lord died on the cross, gave up His life, and shed His blood for you and for me. And the Bible says that they took Him down off of that cross and they buried Him in a tomb. Literally, He was put in the earth for three days and three nights. And for God, the Creator of the universe, the Giver of life, that was the ultimate humiliation. Philippians chapter 2 that it says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And as he is laying in the grave for three days, the enemy is triumphing over him. In his humiliated state, the enemy thinks perhaps that he has won the ultimate victory. But Psalm 16.10 says, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He descended into the lower parts of the earth, but He would ascend once again. Yes, there was a celebration over the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was His humiliation in the tomb. But ultimately, there was the destruction of the wicked when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A couple of weeks ago, I went to see Miss Florence Jones. And I read with her some verses of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 15. It was obvious then that her time to go to be with the Lord was coming soon. And I hoped that these words would be an encouragement to her. Look with me at verse 54. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. What is our greatest enemy? We would say Satan and sin. And what is the result of sin? It is death. Death is amongst our greatest enemies. And even today, people are infatuated with cheating death. Everybody wants to know how to live a little bit longer, how to have a little bit better quality of life. We all, in some way, shy away from the idea of dying. Death is the great, one of our greatest enemies. But death has been swallowed up in victory. How did that happen? Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ rose from the dead so that we could have victory over sin and death. Our enemy has been destroyed by Christ. When Samson pulled those pillars down, 3,000 or more Philistines died. But you know what? It wasn't all the Philistines. There were more and they came back up and they were perpetual enemies of Israel for generations to come. 
His victory was small. His victory was temporary. His victory was minor. And his victory was marred by his own selfish intentions. But the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ was perfect. It was final and forever. And it was not marred with any selfish intentions. It was all done so that we might be saved and so the Father might be glorified. And so Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus has delivered us from the devil and from death. Revelation 1.18, and Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus is the ultimate deliverer. He's the one that when we say we need someone better, we look to Christ and we say there is none better than Him. Our best isn't good enough. We need someone better than the best of us. Jesus is everything that we wish the judges would have been. He is the best. So when all seems lost, remember that Jesus has already won. The wicked will never prevail. With heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, I want to draw a final application this way tonight. By saying, Christian, you do not have to live under the bondage of sin. Christ died on the cross not only to give you eternal life and to save you from hell, but to give you present victory so that right now, today, you could live righteously, you could live holily, and you could enjoy the freedom that Christ offers. But so many times... As Christians, we choose to give in to the temptation to sin and we bring ourselves back under that bondage. It's like we're putting those brass fetters on our own hands and it's like we're going down in the dungeon and, and pushing that mill and grinding that wheat for the enemy. It's like we are blinding ourselves spiritually every time we choose to sin. Jesus Christ died on the cross so we didn't have to do that. And I want to encourage you tonight. Whatever sin it is that you might be struggling with, maybe it's a habit of thought, maybe it's a bad attitude, maybe there's uh, things in your life that you've been uh, watching and listening to, maybe it's whatever it might be. Maybe it's friends that are not positive godly influences in you. Maybe it's just a selfishness or a pridefulness. Whatever the sin is in your life, you can enjoy victory over that tonight through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you tonight, don't live in defeat. Samson ended his life without ever enjoying true victory. You and I can live in victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to live holy and righteous lives. 
to enjoy the liberty and the freedom that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we not give in to the temptation to sin. May we not bring ourselves back into bondage to Satan. And may our lives truly glorify you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me this evening and turn to number 489 in your hymnals? The song is, I Surrender All, very familiar invitation song. And I would like for us to sing this together tonight.